Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast, which you're listening to on Barbenheimer Eve, I suppose, or day, I guess, depending on how your, your theaters work and where you are. But uh, yeah, guess what the topic of this, uh, this episode is going to be? Well, Barbenheimer round one, right? Yes, because we're gonna we're gonna have a round two next week. I was also waiting to see if you were gonna pick something completely random. Like we're gonna talk just about was it Sound of Freedom? Some shit of that, whatever the fuck that movie's called. That boy, I just want really preferred if we didn't talk at all about Sound of Freedom. That's what yeah. I prefer. Well, we could be like all the people who are not watching the movie, because that's a whole thing that. I don't feel like getting into and getting yelled at on the internet, but, you know, when you buy a ticket and don't show, that maybe doesn't make the movie the hit you think it is, but mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, Miles is here. Steve is actually doing uh, family stuff this week, so he will uh, be back when he's ready. And, um, yeah, so we are going to talk about both Barbie and Oppenheimer because I've seen them. And I'm sort of going to prep Miles for his double feature, which... We'll talk about it in a second. So I want to I want to double check which your which order you're doing and stuff like that because I have some thoughts on that now. We actually have questions that tie into both films, which is rare. Like the synergy is actually pretty good today, and uh, we have a couple of questions. So should be a reasonable length, or did I just condemn us to three hours? Well, yeah, Oppenheimer length, classic. Whoops. Well, let's uh, let's see what we can do. Um, our only sort of non-Barbenheimer topic for the day. Besides Miles saying what he's seen recently, is uh, Adam Droge on uh, on or Droge on Twitter asked us something a couple days ago, not necessarily as a podcast question, but I'll address it here just because I'm curious what you think. Uh, he said, "Is it possible there might be some movies that were aimed at being awards contenders this year that now might not make the cut because they weren't quite finished filming?" I definitely support Strike, but I'm curious when we're going to start seeing delays, and I think that will be a telltale sign if you see any unexpected delays. I don't know that it's like, oh, we're worried about the box office because of a premiere. It might be we didn't get to do reshoots and it turns out we really do need them. Yeah. I think the other thing you're going to see is just a lot of these films are just not going to go back for reshoots because they can't. Well, and so we might get like these really awkward or like, you know, obviously ADR'd after the fact kind of like weird mishmash things where they like try and like frankenstein to gather what they have with some things or maybe certain things just don't even get finished sure i mean it'll depend on the movie and the project and the budget and the ambitions and all that so i I don't want to give examples because i can't vouch for where things necessarily are in the pipeline you know like if i if i picked a random like a24 film just to pick like something like on the lower end of the budgetary thing you know, they they don't necessarily do the the Marvel thing of planning for reshoots, right? Marvel Marvel builds it into the budget. Right. Big but big big movies at this point have money set aside for whatever, fix mistakes, or if we don't need to fix mistakes, what can we add? Oh, we got everything done. You know, we might be able to go back and film the scene that we cut because we just figured, ah, eh, we'll never have a chance. That stuff won't happen. But right. if you look at like if you look at the stuff that we know sort of ceased production in the last week or two, they're almost ex- exclusively big properties. Oh yeah, uh, well really... I was looking at a list and it was like every single title had a number on the end. There is 
on the list I'm going to give you right now, only two films don't have a number on the end. One of which is a remake and one of which is an adaptation. Brilliant. The only thing that might, <laughs> the irony is there's one original film and it has a number. <laughs> So I don't know if you have a different list, but the list I'm looking at is Beetlejuice 2. Yep. So I think they... Well, that one was already going through... Uh, well, I guess a lot of these were going through with the writer's strike, but I think it matters more for some than others. Exactly. I think when the writer's strike happened, some films shut down, some films pivoted to what do we have? You know, it depends on where, where their script was. You could also... Well, and what kind you know, of film? Because there's a lot of stuff that's not as script dependent that you can be shooting and hopefully it resolves quicker. Sure. So, like, the next one here is Deadpool 3. Deadpool 3, I think, you know, they said they were going to try to go without it. Like, when they going to they were gonna maybe ADR the, the riffs and stuff later. Sure. I well, don't know and how also far they actually f- got. If you front load the action scenes and make it more about that sort of side of things, that can buy you a certain amount of time. Sure. And there's also the possibility, and, and we will never know this unless it actually comes up in a conversation, but a, a very smart producer you know, or a production team could have seen this coming. You know, if you were getting, if you were getting set to start filming and you knew, oh, well, the strikes are right around when we're going to start, you know, if we could, if we, if we maneuver the the schedule a little bit in case these things happen, we can, we can get maybe a whole bunch of our acting centric or our rewriting kind of stuff out of the way or the vice versa. They might just be like, well, let's get all this action heavy stuff done. The pain in the ass stuff. And if we have to take a break, we come back. It's just performance. And right. we can, we can, you know, we, we can nail this. I got to imagine on, on, uh, on Deadpool three, you know, the, the directing of it all. Right. Cause that's the only person who can work right now. Mm-hmm. Is more, you know, I would say Sean Levy is more concerned with the action set pieces and like the visual effects and stuff. I'm sure he feels fairly confident about the the dialogue scenes. You know, that's that's consistently the highlight of that that series or most of these things. Like another one on the list, I'll, I'll skip the alphabetical for a second. Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part Two. People think it's just like ready to go. They got more to do. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They're they're they're. My understanding is they're a good chunk of the way through, but there's still plenty left. Sure. And I'm sure you ask Macquarie, right? You know, it's it's the action stuff that keeps him up at night. The the exposition scenes, that's probably the only relaxing part of that shoot, give or take whatever Tom Cruise is up to. But I don't think they, they front loaded that. I don't know that they could. Well, if anything, I have to imagine they do a lot of the exposition last just because they're kind of figuring out the plot as they go along. Oh, exactly. They They get to certain scenes and be like, it's like that Kevin Smith story about working on Die Hard. Like, oh, we just haven't told anyone about Timothy Oliphant's character, so this is the scene we have to do it. So we just we just have to pack everything into this scene. Right. So I'm sure they, uh, you know, Mission Impossible probably does a lot of that because they just have to. Well, Otherwise, they probably have like various like exposition checkpoints spread out, and then once they figure out all the different pieces, then they know what information to relay at each one. Uh, yeah, no, I can see that. Uh, so another one, Gladiator 2. I mean, I don't know where, where, what to make of that movie, but I think it was That's just still starting. the movie that I'm surprised, like, is actually as far along as it is. Is it a Ridley Scott movie? It's still Ridley Scott. It blows my mind. But it's, it like, a completely different and... cast except for, like, one or two people. Sure. I mean, one, it'll always a little bit frustrate me that we don't get that bizarre sequel where, like, uh, Maximus, like, 
fuck, fuck oh yeah where he like Jesus fights through or hell or something yeah, yeah no, it's he... a whole weird time travel thing or something he's in bizarre. like he's in like vietnam at one point like god i, I want that one just because it's insane and impossible um but then again, be careful what you wish for. Because remember at the time that Jurassic Park 4 script that was like um, Smart Raptors that we all was like, that's wild. Like, whatever. Give us that. And we we sort of kind of eventually got that and it was underwhelming. Well, we got the coward's version of it. But yes. True. No, we didn't get the John Sales like this is absurd version. But the thing with Gladiator 2 is now there's a 50% chance it sucks. Yeah. It's well, yeah, with, basically uh, a lot of these movies are now dealing with an uphill battle that they otherwise wouldn't have related sure. to their productions. I mean, with the various I, I would say with Ridley Scott anyway, Napoleon falls into that boat of like it's either going to be really good or really bad. He really doesn't. What's the last mediocre Ridley Scott movie? What are you talking about? What's the last not mediocre Ridley Scott movie? The Last Duel. Well, no. I, I So I guess. So House okay. of Gucci. <laughs> But literally movie, his yeah. last one <laughs> that movie was on the bad side i would th- i would say he doesn't really i feel like he doesn't I'll, I'll rephrase he doesn't have that movie you shrug off and go hey whatever i have no no thoughts you either fall mostly on that didn't work or all right that was good like half of his movies are shit ridley scott deserves an oscar he might be one of our best directors and the other half are like what the fuck were you thinking <laughs> The Exodus gods and kings followed by the Martian or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. He does. He does. He doesn't usually miss very long, though. So who knows what to make of this one? Sure. Here, you have your one original film here. Juror number two. Oh, and it has a number. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah that bizarre one where like Clint Eastwood might actually go out on a good one. Yeah. The one that you're like, are we should we like be mildly excited for a Clint Eastwood movie? I mean, we probably shouldn't. But it sounds like he acknowledged he's been making shit recently, so... It's the best that, premise he's had in a while. Sure, like, it's, it's an action... It sounds like something he would have done in his... A generation ago, when it was like, oh, Clint Eastwood, like, one of those, like, rock-solid filmmaker, like, yeah. they're not always... They're, like, I, like not like blood work or, or that run, but, like, right after that, like, oh, this maybe this is a war thing, but maybe this is just good? I don't know. I wonder if that I wonder if he's thinking that like what did I used to make or that I'm still sort of capable of doing. So I'm sure there's some degree of what sure. is he what what is he what is he what, I want to say that he's aware of his limitations because if you think about the last handful of movies he's made there not a lot happens they kind of barely are there. He's, he's, he's sort of working, like, part-time almost on these. Yeah, yeah, or on autopilot a little bit. Yeah, no, True. I agree with that. One, I think, because, you know, if we're to compare to another master filmmaker, uh, this has the chance to become his take on, like, a Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Like, that last yeah. film that almost feels like something a younger filmmaker would do, that last shot. And if this is truly to be his, you know, swan song, then maybe that's the way he wants to go out. And I think that could be... You know, that could de- definitely end his directing career on a, a more memorable note than it might have otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I can't I can't get excited, but I'm cautiously optimistic because I also love a courtroom drama. Sure. I'm curious more than anything. Exactly. Which I have not been for Clint Eastwood since Sully, I want to say. 
And that was a lot of that was Tom Hanks. Sure. I saw you like, yep, yep, I got there. Uh, Lilo and Stitch had to stop production. I, I couldn't give less of a shit about that movie. I'm sorry. Oh, what a shame. Is that a Disney Plus one? Literally, who knows? I, I bet if they're making it, they don't necessarily know. It, but it's a Disney live action one. They're, now they're just remaking things that are new. Like, I, I know it's not new, but it feels like a new movie still. Relatively, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, fucking um, no. Moana's set for a live action remake. That's new as shit. Well, that's egregious. <laughs> that's just egregious. Um, Minecraft. I mean, I don't play <laughs> Minecraft. I Every now and then I remember that we're getting a Minecraft movie. Well, yep. they, they say that. I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you're definitely not seeing it yet because it's uh, stopped. Yeah. Aforementioned Dead Reckoning Part 2. Um, I'll skip the next one because I forgot it existed for a second. Uh, the last one's Venom 3, which, okay, sure. Uh, also, it's funny that, like, it's Kelly Marcel directing it, I think, right? The writer yeah, yeah. of the last one okay. who wrote um, Fifty Shades of Grey. I, like, I kind of want to have a conversation with her. I just, like, what are, what are you up to with your career? Not in even, like, a bad way, but, like... How are you getting these jobs? They couldn't be further apart. Also, isn't it kind of just Tom Hardy making these movies anyway? Independent of you? Well, you, still, you, you still need someone to say action and cut, if nothing else. That's, I suppose that's true. It's probably a nice pay bump, so there you go. Yeah. And then uh, the last one is Mortal Kombat 2. Oh, yeah. They might actually do a Mortal Kombat in this one. Yeah. It ended with, you know, we should probably do Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Next time. Yeah, you got next time, baby. We didn't have time for a Mortal Kombat in the first Mortal Kombat. Yep. But if you play your cards right, you'll get uh, Johnny Cage. As played by Carl Urban, who's in his 50s. Yeah, as the young, as the young, it's Carl Urban playing young Tom Cruise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. No, I'm sure it'll be great, but it's just like, it's okay. Fair enough. I mean, I'm sure it won't be great. It's Mortal Kombat 2, but I'm sure he'll be fine. Well, yeah, Uh, yeah. great is a very generous word, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I watched the first one on HBO Max screener at home on my couch being like, this is a movie, I guess. It sure is. It's better than getting COVID. Yeah. Which, which, what a a barometer. I I wonder at what point we're going to look back. Honestly, frankly, in 2020 to 2021, there were a lot of movies that didn't pass that barometer. (laughs) Well, that's what I was about to say. Like, I wonder when we're going to be able to. I'm not the one to do it, but I want someone to write the book or whatever. Just like the the history, the I don't know exactly what I want, but you'll understand one in a second. Like of those movies released during COVID, like yeah, the, ones, the COVID years, yeah, like the ones that got screwed right right at the time, and there were bad ones and good ones, right? So, um, Bloodshot, right, was one of was made was the last movie I saw in a movie theater for. For a lot of people, yeah. Either that or Onward for a lot of people. Onward. And then the week of um, COVID shutting things down, you had Never Rarely, Sometimes Always coming out. And I'd already obviously seen seen it at a press screening. But like that movie, um, I think the the Ben Affleck movie, um, The Way Back. Right. I, I had seen both of those, but they they opened that weekend and, and sort of tanked because they were like, don't go out, you'll die. So you had good stuff at the same time. And then you got into that run of, well, there's nothing. And then here's your things you can watch at home. Then you got into your simultaneous releases. And I, I, I at some point I want to see, like, what would we have thought of them in another time? Or what would uh, what would a delay have done? What if they had come out earlier? You know, we, we you know, like in the Heights is another one. Like in the Heights yeah. makes no impact, right? Um, 
had it come out because it, it screened before COVID at Tri not Tri was it Tribeca? It, cre- it screened some point, right? Because it was because there was the I, early buzz yeah, that it was really I, great. No, I I remember that. I can't remember where though. Yeah, because I don't remember if Tribeca because I maybe it was Tribeca because I know after that Tribeca moved to the summer. It used to be more of the the April May stuff. It was right around. Um, the time it can so I, but yeah you know what i mean like the, that that whole era of film yeah that like all right it's coming to me and like that's cool but and then there was the tenant of it all with oh you have to go to a theater which have you seen the recent little bit of people seeing it in a the theater recently and really liking it at like uh rep rep theaters oh no i saw i saw a couple people say like oh this movie's actually like a lot better with the, the theatrical sound system and actually watching it as intended. And, you know, we all know. didn't. I mean, I saw it in the theater. It's still well, my least favorite of his films. It's my second least favorite. We're going to do our rankings next week. I'll put up an article and we'll talk about it in the podcast. I think following falls under it. Oh, no, I think following's got some cool stuff. Sure. The, uh, the, neither are bad films, but they're the they're the least. Yeah, that but I, following, you know what the fuck's happening moment to moment. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I, I think I think Tenant piecing it together is a challenge. Yeah. Um, following is just incomplete. Nolan. He's he's you know. Well, it's just the artist to back. become. It's, it's exactly. It's the raw essentials. Oh yeah, no, I w- I wouldn't begrudge anyone flip flopping those in any way, and I might even when I when I think about it more. But we'll talk about that later. So yeah, a uh, whole other thing on on the pandemic movies. But yeah, things that might get delayed, I couldn't tell you what they are. But yeah, if you if you suddenly see a movie that's maybe not a blockbuster awards contender, move out. That's why. I mean, listen, if Killers of the Flower Moon moves, that's not because it's not done. Obviously, that's because somehow they think there's a financial incentive to not be able to have uh, DiCaprio walk the carpet. Sure. So we'll see. Impossible to know right now. So before we get into Barbenheimer, you saw a couple of things. So why don't you tell me about that? And then we'll we'll, we'll barb it up for the rest of the episode. Sure. Or it up. Uh, so, yeah. So I just caught up on a handful of things real quick. Um, finally saw Blackberry at my local second run theater. And um, yeah, it's good. It's a very solid sort of social network light style thriller. Um, Jay Baruchel, you know. The performance took a little while to grow on me, but I think by the end he's doing some of his best work. Um, Glenn Howerton, though, force of nature, like every single scene he comes in and just demolishes it. And everything from, you know, some of the great shouting scenes that I've seen so far this year to like some like towards the end, some really effective, like silent acting. It's just it's the whole package. It's a real like showstopper of a performance. It's the kind of thing where the movie may be too small for it to get any like awards traction. But if nothing else, him, it should be a calling card for him to start getting more roles like that, or at least more that would be in this kind of conversation. Oh, it's him or bust in terms of awards. Totally. But uh, he also you said uh, I forget the word you said for uh the type of thing he's doing, but he actually literally destroys something in the film. Also, that's a really good scene. The oh, phone. the phone, yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, like, yeah. so like the verbal destruction is there, but also there's physical destruction as well. Exactly. He he's the highlight in a movie that I don't know that you could ever tell anyone like you have to go see. No, but I, I can't see anyone not enjoying it. 
It's just it's so well. It's it's such a well done like small film. Exactly, it's completely inessential. It, it's not really innovating or doing anything like new or bold or different. But it's of doing. It's similar to Tetris in that it's a very good version of exactly what it's doing. And like, I would never tell anyone not to see it because it's it's gonna entertain you. Sure. I mean, the only the only reason I think you could tell someone like, oh, go seek it out, is if they're a big It's Always Sunny fan. Well, exactly. Think- they specific. Well, and that's why I sought it out because I was genuinely sure. curious about that performance, which and I was satisfied. Yeah, because you because well, listen, like Charlie Day does a lot, right? He he works fairly consistently, voice acting, uh, live action. Directed this year, I liked Fool's Paradise. I know it was kind of like it was mostly ignored, even more so than like shit on, but I liked it. Um, Glenn, obviously, I think was it. He had a Fox sitcom or was uh, it uh, AP bio is the bio, other so thing. Was, yeah. Yeah. Cause um, she had the Fox sitcom, right? Was it, I forget what it was called. Oh, I couldn't every, tell you, but I, I don't think it, I don't think it went anywhere or maybe it is. I don't know. That's the thing. Like most of them have gotten to do something for the, or, and I guess Rob owns a soccer team. So like what? Well, he's also and does a uh, mythic quest. Sure. 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 Which I, I only saw a little bit of at the time, but I, I liked it. I just never came back to it. Um, have you watched it or just know of it? No, I just know that he does it. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, and and I guess they have that documentary about him and, and Reynolds like owning that team, so they've all got something going on. And Danny DeVito, you know, yeah. he's out there and about. What did I just either heard him in or saw him in? Oh, I was listening to a podcast because um, I was listening to an episode of uh, Talking Simpsons podcast. And he apparently, I guess, talked to, talked with James L. Brooks at like a Q and A once, and kept talking about all the, the cocaine that was going on in '80s movies. Mm. And like, it just sounds like a fun story to hear from Danny DeVito. Also, that he lived with Michael Douglas well, in that the tracks. '80s, I think. When well, they're life, they're they're at this point lifelong friends. Oh yeah, I don't know when they when they met, but like, it was when Michael Douglas was still trying to break in and like be a producer as much as an actor. And it's just funny that like Danny DeVito was paying the rent. Like he had gotten gigs, so he was the responsible one. Which, if how funny would that be if he was also like the neat one, and Michael Douglas is like sitting in his own filth? Yeah, yeah. Dane DeVito is like, come on, my cleanup. I smell a sitcom. Oh, would you not watch that? I'd watch the shit out of that. Absolutely. Exactly. Which is funny because that was that was um, kind of what I guess the Kaminsky method was trying to do, and we didn't watch. Yeah. Also, belated uh, rest in peace, Alan Arkin. Oh yeah, that bummed me out. Yeah. But, you know, incredible body of work, like, yep. beyond went approach. Out, went out, like, with, well working consistently. Didn't seem to go of, like, a disease or anything terrible. Just sort of, it was his time. And and all the stories about him were, he's exactly what you thought Alan Arkin would be. A grump, but, like, a lovable grump. Exactly. I think my favorite one that I heard was someone said they'd met his, all of his children, oddly, on different forms of public transportation. Except for one, it was like, oh, we're Alan, we're meeting you on a plane, and we saw your your son do a Broadway show, and we we took like Metro North home with him. He was on a train or something like that, and he, without looking up from eating like hummus or something, was like, well, you better get uh, you better get Adam on a boat or something like that. Like, it just seems very him. Sure. You know, just ex- accept what you said and be like, all right, whatever. I know someone tr- went to go hug him. Or not, well, hugged his agent or something like that. He had that look of like, please don't go hug me. And she said, I'm not going to hug you. And he just went, I mean, if you must. It just, it's everything you want from him. Totally. Yeah. So they, uh, definitely a, uh, a life worth uh, celebrating. 
All right, so BlackBerry, I vouch for is good. I think I haven't seen the other thing you saw, if it's what you watched tonight. Yeah, so the other thing yes. uh, I literally just finished before uh, we started getting set up here. Uh, it's uh, it's an animated film, been on Netflix for a few weeks now. It's called Nimona. Uh, it's based on a graphic novel I'm not familiar with, but um, I know it had sort of a troubled uh, production history where it was set up under Blue Sky, who are the studio that do like the Ice Age movies, and um, they were working on it, and it got shut down because the Disney merger happened right during its production, and so it just kind of got abandoned for a little while. And then, so I guess Annapurna and then uh, Netflix kind of came together and were able to sort of salvage it and uh, sort of create a finished version of it um but and i know there's like a a really passionate fan campaign as well to sort of get it realized Mm. um and you know which is kind of an awesome sort of inspiring you know happy story i mean it's a little bit that it's being left to disappear in the netflix canals but you know it's at least it's out there at least it's not getting deleted like so many of these things didn't i don't know what it was but didn't i just see that like something Didn't I just see it? Something like brand new also was getting deleted. Oh well, like the um, so so two of the dumbest examples I've seen are there's that Willow show which has only been out for like a few months to begin with. Yeah. And uh, there's the Grease show which just got nominated for some Emmys, but you can't watch the Emmy nominated show because they deleted it. Oh um, and also it was last year. It was um, Rosalind the uh, yep the Shakespeare uh, spinoff. The Great I think got taken down as well. Yeah, which I, I mean, I it seems so dumb. Or not the great, the um, uh, the the princess. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there's just because it just is like no, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, no, it's bizarre. But anyway, yeah. um, Nimona. So yeah, sort of a troubled story to get there. Um, but man, is it all worth it? It was a blast. It was so so good. Um, definitely exceeded my expectations. It's got a really a surprisingly creative setting um that's sort of a lot more it's both simpler and more involved than you know the previews would have you believe like i don't know what i was necessarily expecting but once you see sort of how they set it up it makes total Mm -hmm. sense but it's kind of endlessly fascinating because it's sort of this weird blend of like medieval fantasy and like cyberpunk dystopia that's and, pretty and singular. It's it's yeah, and it's also you know it's it's playing around with a variety of different elements, and like it would seem really jarring and disjointed, but not unlike Spider Verse, it finds a way to sort of you know spin them all together in unique and intriguing ways. Um, I thought the characters were really you know interesting and memorable. It's just it's a good story. It's got some very non-subtle social commentary that I think is really good that I think especially in a kids movie like this like there's some very overt LGBT representation uh, here that I think Disney could learn a few lessons from um, well they, they they get nervous every time they want to take a stand and then they barely take a stand or don't yeah there's some there's some very overt stands being taken here um and uh and it's just it's it's very emotional towards the end like there's you know there's the big um i I wouldn't say it's like on a pixar level or anything like that but it's definitely following a certain framework that you'll Mm -hmm. recognize and uh, when it gets to those moments it finds actually pretty surprising ways uh to sort of get you there 
Um, so it's it's definitely one that I think is probably kind of under the radar right now. But I would say if people you know remember it and talk about it, I absolutely think it could be like a best animated contender in the same way that like the Sea Beast kind of circled back after being forgotten over the summer. Sure. That's interesting. I mean, well, so much of that depends on what Netflix's priorities are. Oh, totally, also, totally. But I mean, the CB like, snuck in when they still won for Pinocchio, so it could just get some residual love. Oh, for sure. Do you? Um, I, I know. I know you like him, but how much do you like Miyazaki? Um, I'm I'm a fan. Is this regarding the new one? Yes. It's a good. It's a good segue quickly to that. I mean, I know nothing about it because most people know nothing about it, which is by design. Well, I was curious what you think of the desi- that design as much as anything else of like specifically saying we're telling you nothing about this movie. See it if you want to see a Miyazaki film. I mean, I like it in theory. I don't think it's going to translate overseas because by the time it gets to us, there's no way that that mystery will still be preserved. Yeah, because um, it literally came out this past weekend. Well, exactly. And it's probably going to be a few months to a year before we see it. So, um yeah. I, I like it in theory. Well, it's kind of not too dissimilar from the uh, like the ten Cloverfield Lane strategy of just oh, you didn't know this film existed. It comes out next month. Yeah, yeah. or so the, something uh, along those lines. I, I always or the Cloverfield enjoy. paradox of you can watch it tonight. Well, that's will the, you? Should you? Well, that, that's another story. That's the bad example. Sure, that's the example that of that always, not working. That will always be one of the bigger recent letdowns. I'm like, oh wait, cool. Oh wait, never mind. What a nothing burger. I, I'm I'm into the idea. I just I mean, if you if you had a financial stake in the film, I don't know that you would be happy about it. Sure. But that's a different uh, that's a different story. Uh, so let's start by talking Barbenheimer in general. So you're going to see both, right? Yes. Tell us your your plan. How are you, how are you tackling this? So uh, we've got our day laid out. I'm quite satisfied with where we're at. Um, so we're doing Oppenheimer first because it's the longer film. I have to imagine it's the heavier film. It mm-hmm. just feels like the one that is, you know, you do steak before dessert. Um, and, you know, not to say that Barbie doesn't also have substance, I'm sure – Either order will have interesting ramifications, but um, we decided to start uh, Oppenheimer. We're doing 70 millimeter, which I was surprised was mm-hmm. even an option. Yes. Uh, um, and um, so we're doing that at uh, 1030 in the a.m. We'll get out oh, around 132-ish, you know, break for lunch, sort of, you know, get some time in between. And then we'll circle back around to Barbie at five. Okay. All right. I, I'm glad you're seeing Oppenheimer first. I, I can't. For the life of me, imagine watching uh, Oppen- uh, watching Barbie first and then strolling into Oppenheimer for a bit of tonal oh. whiplash. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I listen, guess either way. Listen, I cried at one film and not at the other. But, I mean, I they, they're, they're doing such different things. Listen. We'll get into both of them in a second. They're both great. They're they're two of my three favorite films of the year. I, I honestly couldn't tell you which one's my number one right now. Um, I feel like I have more to say about Barbie in a weird way, but that's just because it, it like almost shouldn't exist, which we'll talk about in a second. Like it's just it's gobsmacking that this movie exists. Oppenheimer is kind of just this movie done really well and with one of the best filmmakers of his of his current era at the helm and some great acting, but. 
I, I I do think about the people who are doing Barbenheimer, like not even necessarily ironically, but they just want to be a part of it. And they might watch, especially if you watch Barbie, if you're going because you want to see Barbie, right? Sure. And then you, you go into Oppenheimer, like, what is this movie? It is going to like, I don't know what that reaction is possibly going to be. That is, I, I think some people are going for the trend and are going to have a rude awakening. Very uh, much so. So, which I can't I, wait to hear about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't want either of them to be torpedoed by the other crowd or anything like that. No, but no, I certainly not. Well, if anything, I love that the meme has sort of res- like if you look at box office tracking compared to even a month ago, I think the shared meme is kind of only doing benefits for both movies. Well, I mean, uh, listen, I think uh, Barbie was always going to play like opening weekend very well. Sure. Totally. Because it's Barbie. Well, I think I, th- I don't think either of them were ever in a situation where they weren't going to do well. I don't know. I mean, not that Oppenheimer is a guaranteed hit, but I don't think it would. The new Nolan doesn't come out to nothing. No, it's um, it's interesting. So I think the thing about um. The box office tracking is, you know, the I think the the Barbie people are going to lead the way, but that could be more top heavy, give or take how many people watch it based on reviews, right? If you're just going based on it's Barbie, that's a top heavy opening. That's playing like a summer like escapist fair. Sure. And then there's a little bit a little bit more going on. The Oppenheimer stuff, I think, like I actually was on the train home to do this from Oppenheimer, and heard someone on the train getting ready to leave. Um, they saw someone else reading the paper. Oh, Oppenheimer. I'm going to go see that this weekend. Or if it's good or something like that. And I went, uh, I just saw it like 20 minutes ago. It's great. And they went, oh. So that was kind of funny. They were just like, how? I was like, it's my job. <laughs> um, Another yeah, that thing, was kind of funny. Um, too, is that Oppenheimer is like definitively playing to something of an older audience who don't always necessarily go opening weekend. Yes, the people with the newspaper about Oppenheimer were um, quite... Well, the, the people that gave Top Gun its legs last year. Or at least were a contributing factor thereof. Sure. Um, I, I think... I would be very curious, actually, to see how many people of an older generation go to Barbie... Because there's like Robert Evans is referenced early on in the film. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like uh, it, among the things I could tell you, isn't that like maybe one of the least likely things you would have thought I could have said that was in that Barbie movie? I mean, there's a wide range of things. I don't know that I would do least anything. <laughs> That's true. Um, there's nothing so. I'd put past it at this point. Which is good because it doesn't put a lot past itself. So I'll, I'll, I guess we might as well do Barbie, right? Let's um, let's kick it off with um, a question relation to it, and then for few, for um, reference, I won't reveal anything that other people aren't talking about because I think the third act should kind of be uh, left to you to discover. But I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more than than what the the trailers have told, just because I think it's interesting for context to give you an idea of what the movie's getting at, sure. as opposed to pink, right? Because the trailers are kind of just like pink. Yeah, all the Barbie Land stuff. Exactly. The so uh, Kayfley two hundred eight asks us: Can you do your Oscar revisionist history game with Ryan Gosling? Could should he have won for either of his two nominations, any of the nominations for other roles that you would have given him, and who would you have bumped out? And if you have time, can you do Margot Robbie? So sure, because they're both great in the movie, and I will I will be leading the Ryan Gosling for best supporting actor charge this year. Nice. Because boy, um, 
the commitment that he has to this doofy role is amazing. Uh, there's a there's a line like you've seen the the thing of him holding the the rollerblades. Oh yeah. And she's like, "Did you bring your roll?" He's like, "I literally never leave anywhere without." But like the like, just gritting his teeth, the way he delivers the line. Mm-hmm. Beyond, he has a song. I think it's called "I'm Just Ken." Yeah, I saw the clip. Oh my god, I didn't, I didn't, hadn't seen the clip. It is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Like everything he does, and I want, I'll get into him in a second, but I want to talk about his stuff. So he's been nominated for um, Half Nelson and for. La La Land. So keep in mind that I'm a it's little wild weird to in that. me that he's not in there for like Blue Valentine or, or Place Beyond the Pines or something like that. Sure. So if you go look at the Golden Globes, he, you have uh, you don't have Half Nelson because they don't know about tiny movies like that. You have La La Land where he wins. He also has Crazy Stupid Love, mm-hmm. The Ides of March, Blue Valentine, Lars and the Real Girl. Oh sure, and obviously, like you said, I would I would throw in place beyond the pines, so we can we can do some of those years. So let's look at the um, half Nelson year, which I I mean, Blue Valentine I think is his best performance, but this is up there. So Forrest Whitaker wins for the Last King of Scotland. I don't necessarily want to take an Oscar away from Forrest Whitaker, not to mention that I I do remember that being a season where that felt like a foregone conclusion quite far in advance. Sure, and and. I think that performance is good. Well, and it's also just that... one of those classic Oscar-y performances. Exactly. You know, it's it's very adjacent to like an Anthony Hopkins Hannibal Lecter win. I would say I would say even less exciting than that. Not in a bad way, but just I think I think well, just Whitaker was it's, nominated. It's the kind of the size of a role. role where it's like a movie sure. star, like as this like larger than life villainous character. I think oh, also yeah. Daniel Day Lewis and There Will Be Blood. As soon as he as soon as that movie wasn't bad. He was nominated. And as soon as you watched it and went, oh, he's good, he won. Yeah. That was just it. So the other nominees, Leonardo DiCaprio, but for Blood Diamond, not The Departed, which what uh, a strange he's choice good in, He's is. good in both, but it should have been The Departed. should have been The Departed. And Blood Diamond does have that accent that is yeah. divisive. Yeah. You either you either go for it or you don't. You have Gosling. You have Peter O'Toole for Venus. He was always seen as the, the other option for the Oscar. But he's good in that movie. That movie's kind of whatever. Yeah, I agree. Like not bad or anything, but that movie is only. It, it was in it kind of a last. Yeah, it was like a last ditch effort to get a, a non career win, but it didn't end up happening. Sure, like if he hadn't, if he had won the Oscar already, I don't know. Well, because he, he made got the, the honorary one, but he had always. Yeah, but he he'd wanted to turn it down because he still thought he could get it out right. Exactly. Which. Good. Well, no, it's just, yeah, if he had one for that one, it would have been very much like a scent of a woman style, like pity thing. Like, well, you've been nominated so many times. But I, but I don't know that it's yeah, he's good, but it's he's done so many greater things in his career. It wouldn't have felt right. Agreed. Um, speaking of the honorary Oscar real quick, I was talking uh, um, actually um, from Doughboys, Mike Mitchell, the actor and comedian and podcaster who we will eventually have on. Complicated by the strike. Because um, guess who can't promote uh, Twisted Metal anymore? Of course. But um, we were talking about uh, if Tom Cruise was ever going to win Oscar. So see, sometimes just for fun, I talk with my friends about this stuff anyway. But I, I propose this notion and I, I want to know what you think. I think he's going to get the honorary Oscar one day, regardless. Oh, yeah, like some stuff. sort of special achievement for his uh, contribu- contributions to – yeah, no, I think for sure. 
I think that's going to be how it happens. I think so, too, even though I would like him to get back to. I, I, I don't think it's I, I think he probably still has another nomination worthy role in him, but I don't know if he'll win in that regard. I mean, we'll see. Uh, and then Will Smith for the Pursuit of Happiness. Yeah, sure, not, a, not a bad lineup in general, but I can't see a world where Whitaker doesn't take it. And I don't sure, know, I, even by preference, I don't know that I would change it either. Uh, my preference would be Gosling here, obviously. I think Will Smith might even be my number two. Whitaker three, O'Toole four, DiCaprio five. Though if it's DiCaprio for Departed, it's Gosling DiCaprio. Okay. I really, really like him in, in that one. So I, I listen, I would have given him this win, but I understand why you can't. Well, yeah, I, th- I think it's he's also, good in it. I don't love that movie because it's kind of a little downery for my taste. Well, yeah, but I, I think it's, it's yes. a strong performance outside. Of sure. That. I, I, I freely admit that I know that movie is a, is a big ask for you beyond watching him being like, oh, shit, this might be the next great actor. Sure. But I think there was enough other stuff around then that you could watch for evidence of that. That it, it, Oh, yeah. No, it he was very was... skippable. Despite him movie, being so I, good in it. Sure. I love it because it's that it's a movie I can gravitate to when I like enough, you know, when I with an actor I like at the time, I because I'd already was intrigued by him from a couple other smaller things. Um, the Slaughter Rule, The Believer, things like that. United States of Leland. But as a film, yeah, it's it, it's very. I don't know that I would love it as much even now, but at the time that was a my type of like indie gritty, like made on a shoestring it's either going to work or not. But, it, to, to, you know, listen, there are a lot of people who kind of shrugged it off like you, and there are a lot of people who went apeshit for it like me. So that was sort of the reaction that that, that movie had, which, good. I, I'm glad those filmmakers got to continue making movies. For sure. Um, so this year, we're going to have this other one with La La Land is going to be interesting. So Casey Affleck wins for Manchester by the Sea, taking taking the things you don't like about uh, depressing cinema to the nth degree with the added bonus of a guy you don't care for. <laughs> Yeah, that's just, you know, everything everything I hate about award season in one person. Sure. Um, I, I Taking him out that's of the equation. That's not true. I, Jared Leto still exists in the world. Go on. That's true. And at least, and at least Casey Affleck like, like half-heartedly tried to solve some of those issues after the fact. And has been, you know, very quiet since then. Though he is in Oppenheimer, fair warning. Yeah, I heard. Though to... I don't know if I don't know if Nolan was thinking about this because I think he might just like him from being in a, in a movie or two with him, but he is cast as like the most horrifying person in the film. Oh, okay. It is interesting that like that you know that he's like the the guy in the military who does kill people, as opposed to like I think I don't know if it's in the trailer, but like Matt Damon having lines about like I'll just have him killed. Yeah, I'm joking. Like this is the guy who has people killed. Oh, Jesus. it's just okay. really funny that like. If he has, if if Nolan is aware enough to be like, I want to have Casey in this movie, but I should probably make him like the the vile person in the film as opposed to like Niels Bohr or something like that. So he wins for Manchester, uh, notable for being a a fictional character. It's not really what wins the Oscar for lead actor these days. That's true. Your other nominee, Jeff Gosling for La La Land, never really had the winner vibe. He kind of seeded that to Emma Stone very very like happily, I think. Yeah, during that that run, because um, that's the thing. I think Ryan Gosling well, is a I very think, good co-star. Well, not only that, I, I don't think anyone really contested that of the two, she had the much showier role. Sure, I, I think he 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 even was very happy to like push her forward 
and like yeah. hopefully get nominated. Uh, other nominees: Andrew Garfield, Hacksaw Ridge. That is awful. Yeah, there's just no no way around that. And I and I like Andrew Garfield, but that that movie is that movie's terrible. Give give it to him for anything else. <laughs> yeah, he's actively bad in the first act. He's fine yeah. once he's like not playing. Well, the, the movie is actively bad of. around him in the first act. Sure. That, that movie is unwatchable until like an hour in. Exactly. The first hour is Tropic Thunder. Ugh. Like it's what it's what no, Tropic the, the, Thunder was making fun of. Well, it's Simple Jack is what it is. It's Simple Jack. Yeah. yeah. Like that that line we don't need to repeat, but we all know and is actually a very funny line. Yeah. Is very apt for that. And then it becomes like, I mean, like the war shit is like well done, admittedly. Yeah. But everything else is just like whatever. Uh, Viggo Mortensen, Captain Fantastic. He's pretty good in a movie I do like, but that was never going to win. That was kind of surprising. If, if, he if even anything, got it. It was an inspired nomination. Yeah. Exactly. That was a small campaign. And then the actual competition for Casey Affleck, which was Denzel Washington for Fences, a movie I'm on the fence about. I don't I, I it's do like that. it is a good performance, but it's that that movie is just it has all the classic hallmarks of how you don't adapt a play into a movie. And it just feels so stagey in a way that I found always kept me at yeah. arm's length. Den- Denzel had no take on it beyond. Yeah. I want to play that role and I'm happy to direct it. And, it, and it's Which a is great a shame. piece, but it works just bet. It's just not a piece that translates to film in the same way. No, he does. He has that thing. Like I, I know it's it's easier said than done, but I really wish more filmmakers figured out ways to not just be like, oh, it's a, it's a play, but we're we're adapting to film so we can have them go outside. They have to go outside, right? And we'll sure. just have them go in and out the door a lot. And and I think it's it's not that act that's bad. It's that it's the very overt like this is what we're doing to show you it's not a it was a play but it's not anymore and we're making a movie because i didn't have at all a problem with it with the whale because the whale is not based on it is based on a play but the whale is calling attention to it in a way and because they don't try to make it bigger if anything it's as small well and i think the the whale benefits from it like the limited location being very much baked into the story like even if it wasn't based on a play with this same plot it would be set in the same location anyway exactly whereas whereas fences i know it's it's a classic you can only do so much but at the same time i don't know i i it takes me out a little bit when I see the like, oh, we got to go inside the door again. We got to come out like, yeah, he, he, we got to have some to business. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. So um, my I mean, ranking me... here. Go ahead. You okay. want to do yours first? Well, no, I was just gonna, I don't I don't know if I'm going to do a ranking, but I um, I would go Gosling for this one personally. I think I'll go Affleck, Gosling, Mortensen, Denzel, Garfield. And I like Denzel in a lot. But one, he didn't need another Oscar. So that was I, I hate the we have to give them another one conversation. Yeah. No one ever needs another one. They, you don't even need a first one. But I'm happy to have that like because it is a nice capper to a career to be able to give someone the statue. Right. Especially if they're totally a veteran or if they're an exciting newcomer, whatever your conversation is there. I'm I'm fine with that. Giving them a second one. I mean, unless the first one was a was a shitty one or something like that, or was a supporting in their lead, I I, I still don't put a lot into that. But the third conversation, uh, if you have to have another award to be considered a legend with other people, you're not a legend. And I'm not saying that Denzel isn't, but if that's what would be the difference, it, it's just that I don't I don't go in for that conversation. That's and that, fair. And I'm not yeah, because I'm not ranking him. Higher or lower than than the the Jack Nicholsons of the world, the Daniel Day Lewises, 
it's just they're different they're different actors from different times yeah i so I, I mean I, listen if, if a performance comes along that is like win worthy outside of all that then like that's the conversation that we can have like you know and you know i don't will everyone argue that like all three of day lewis's absolutely should have happened all three of nicholson's absolutely should have happened you know we can get, litigate that all day long but and i i, I, I agree to. with your sentiment about like it's it, it always feels better to share the wealth than to just have people double or triple up sure and it's not like that's a bad performance or not a worthy performance but it does seem kind of baity in a way that you really don't want the third one to be yeah um I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis kind of avoided that because that's that was a difficult role. And it was like we don't really see Lincoln, at least modern Lincoln on modern interpretations on on screen that often. And the way he did the voice and then also his research and all that shit. There's, there's ways to, to paper over that. The flip yeah. side is the is is the Meryl Streep winning a third one for the Iron Lady. Well, yeah, that's mm. Exactly. Or I would even go as far as Francis winning for Nomadland, which I think had more to do with minimal competition than anything else. Exactly. That's where you wish the Academy would be like, well, Carrie Mulligan or or whoever you wanted of that group. Yeah, the idea yeah. of like you could spread this out. Now, um, let's do Blue Valentine because he definitely was probably sixth there, I want to say. Yeah, he was in that conversation for sure. I would be I would be surprised if um, if he wasn't uh, six, so that well, especially because be... Michelle Williams did get in. Yes, and that movie had all the free buzz from the NC seventeen, and it was it was the Weinstein Company like caring again for a hot second, yep. which was a uh, they had that run of um, Harvey Weinstein besides being busy uh, raping and sexually harassing people was into politics, which we don't have to that that's a hard ugh. imagine having to like take money from him, but whatever the idea of. They they were they were asleep at the wheel for a little bit. That's why you see things like remember John John Cusack with Grace is Gone. They buy that oh, film, yeah. make a big deal of like, oh, we're gonna get him nominated, and then they just don't do anything. And there was no reason. There was no like, oh, we suddenly hate him. It was just they fucking forgot that they were releasing movies. So that year, Colin Firth wins for the King's Speech. Sure. So if he doesn't win, your options would be Javier Bardem for Beautiful, who probably takes Gosling's spot. I would imagine. Jeff Bridges so. for True Grit, Jesse Eisenberg, The Social Network, James Franco, 127 Hours. So I would be, I listen, I would give Gosling the Oscar, but I know that's a, that's a big ask in terms of reality here. Mm. Could, but you could also, you could really play with this because you could give Colin Firth the Oscar for a uh, single man if you wanted. You could take Bridges out easily because he had just won. Javier yeah. Bardem has an Oscar. James Franco sucks as a person. Like, uh, uh, like could, yeah, honestly, I'd probably give it to Eisenberg out of everybody. Oh, yeah. And it's also kind of that, like, well, Eisenberg may never be back. Not well, and also that actor, is there, there's something thing. so singular about that performance, even relative to anything else he's done that I feel like in some ways hasn't been replicated. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I listen, I would give it to him, but I think easily you could make room for him in that lineup. Definitely. Um, what about Lars and the real girl? That feels like another one, right? Sure because that one not a strong got glo- contender but definitely an outside contender. well he got the globe and he didn't get the oscar yeah so let's look at that lineup the years sometimes especially when it's right around the turns so that's the 80th oscars that year we have daniel day lewis speak of the devil win for there will be blood 
your other nominees are George Clooney, Michael Clayton. He wasn't winning, but he was always in. Yeah. Johnny Depp, Sweeney Todd. I'm, I'm sure we, we wouldn't miss him now, but like at the time that was. I, 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 will, I will say this. I think that's probably his last great performance that he'll ever have in him. I don't love the singing. Like he's fine, but the, the performance itself is good. In a movie, I'm I'm mixed on. The last time I felt like he was genuinely compelling, as opposed to either distracting for off-screen reason or distracting because of makeup, costume, etc. Sure, Tommy Lee Jones in the Valley of Ela, which was the the surprise on on the day. Yeah, possibly. At, I I think honestly, probably. At, you know what? It wasn't at Gosling's expense. He was seven. Six was Emil Hirsch. Yeah, that's right. And Viggo Mortensen, Eastern Promises, which was a cool nomination. I, I mean, so here's the challenge. So let's say you want to put in Gosling and Hirsch, which honestly they don't they don't go for two young guys at the same time. But they were kind of the competing there, and, and usually one gets in, and they both missed. Yeah. Hey, Tommy Lee Jones takes one spot by virtue of being Tommy Lee Jones, right? Even though it's a movie that oddly no one liked at the time, it was kind of funny that that got in. Yeah. I've revisited it and it's not as bad as I remember, but it's it's a nothing movie. It has that one interesting shot of him coming back to like turn the flag upside down. I'll be honest, but it's also, I've never seen it. It's 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 at the height of the like Iraq movies. Yeah, and well, it, I the only reason I remember it at all is because it was part of that was the year where Josh Brolin really exploded as an adult yes. actor because he had that he had Grindhouse, uh, No Country for Old Men, and um, American Gangster all in one year. Yeah, so he would be the one to go. But if you were taking both two out for him, I guess Vigo goes then, and I don't love that. I don't. I can't imagine v- them both getting in and Vigo not getting in. Sure. I mean, in, in modern well, honestly, parlay. even because Hirsch, we're talking into the wild, right? Like that yes. got into picture. I think that automatically puts him ahead of Gosling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I, I think. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think Deb, Gosling's Deb an uphill battle. I think Gosling's an uphill battle, and also like as far as a win, this one was never gonna be lost by Day Lewis. Sure. I think I think Depp would be the one you would take out just because of modern stuff. Yeah. I mean, I can do I can I can make a case for almost every Gosling film. So I'll, I'll restrain myself uh, just because. So Margot Robbie, you want to do quickly? Sure. And then we'll get Let, into Barbie. Let's just do her actual nods. Yes, because I mean, I, I, I think the only one that like she missed for that would be worth um, getting into would be um, Once Upon a Time, which gets in for a different one anyway. Sure. So that helps. Wait, wait, uh, let's did see. she get in for Wolf of Wall Street? No. Well, that, so I, would say, I would say that over Hollywood. Well, no, I meant she gets in the same year um, that she misses for Hollywood with um, with Bombshell. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, well, then, so yeah, I mean, then we don't need to. Yeah, yeah we could okay. we could substitute Bombshell for for um, Once Upon a Time if we want. Um, Wolf of Wall Street. I'll pull that up for you. So that'd be the one extra one we do. I think that might also be the only one that also like. That would be the only other one where I'd be like the performance was worthy of that, of like taking that look at. Exactly. So let me pull that one up. And in that year, she would have gone up against Lupita Nyong'o wins for 12 Years a Slave. I'm in the minority. (laughs) Bless you. Um, You're welcome. I'm in the minority of not thinking that's the best performance of all time. There's nothing against that performance, but I, I just didn't quite see what everyone saw. That's fair. It just happens sometimes. Um, Sally Hawk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, I'm no, I'm never claiming I'm right, which is 
I guess I'm doing the internet wrong, but you know, some things just don't hit you in the same way. I, I mean, I, I, I like that film. I think many of those performances are good. I think she's very good. I just didn't, the oh, above and beyond never cl quite clicked with me. Well, that's so one of sound those classic supporting performances where she's mainly just winning for the one scene. Exactly. Which, which I have, I, I, I could go either way on. It depends on the movie. Um, I think one scene kind of wins or better when the performance is smaller. She's in a little bit more of that film. Sure. But that's the thing, like, we'll, when we talk about Oppenheimer in a minute, Emil, Emily Blunt has a scene like that. And I don't know that she wins. She can win based on one scene. But, you know. Uh, Sally Hawkins' Blue Jasmine. Okay. I like her in that movie. No, no, never a threat to win. Was kind of a nice surprise that morning. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence, American Hustle. She was two. I think she's a riot in that film. Yeah. And she was always well. She was the front runner. I remember earlier before For that movie yeah. kind of ran then, out of steam. And then she wins BAFTA. I think that was yeah, that was yeah. The last like, oh shit, she might be up. Uh, Julia Roberts, August Osage County. Like no, no, no shade on that. But that's that's an anonymous yeah. nomination. No one even remembers that. And June Squibb, Nebraska. You can't take that away. Yeah. Even if so I'd say like she's lose Roberts. Exactly. That's that's an easy fix. And then she's a breakthrough. And and probably, I think that... I, I don't think she's a threat to win, just because Lupita had a pretty consistent track record no. at that point. She might have been she might have been three, but here's the thing. And we didn't really talk about this with Gosling, because I don't know that it changes anything. But I think this sets her up on a path to win. Well, yeah, way she that gets I, nominated that early. I agree. Yeah, because Gosling, you add, a, you add a, an earlier second nomination, essentially, yeah. which doesn't really change anything. I don't think he, he pivots with, with um, La La Land. So in terms of her nominations, I think that gives her the, a chance to win for um, I, Tanya. She might overtake Francis. Francis for three billboards? Yes. I mean, I already like that, but what are the other nominees? Uh, Sally Hawkins, Shape of Water, Sears Ronan, Lady Bird, Meryl Streep, The Post. It's actually a pretty good lineup. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a lot of affection for Sally Hawkins, Shape of Water. But honestly, of those five, I would go for um, Margot and I, Tanya. Yeah. I mean, I Searsha or Margot. Margot, I think, is my pick. Then Searsha. Um, I would have loved to have found a way. And, and it never caught on because the movie went for the sporting players, even though they didn't get it either. Uh, Zoe Kazan in The Big Sick was a really good oh, yeah. a really good performance and and that's a that's an easy role to just under obviously they weren't going to underwrite it Kumail and Emily but that's an easy role to underwrite in a similar movie yeah. so the fact that that isn't and that they give that third act to her coming out of the coma and being like well, I don't none of what you experienced I experienced so I don't care about you was a really sort of bold choice in in a movie that I think I think is what makes it a great movie in some ways, but also maybe keeps it from being quite as um, beloved. Sure. Also that year, you could have Jessica Chastain from Molly's Game. She was probably oh, yeah. six. She 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 and Sorkin Dialogue were uh, quite the match. Yeah. Um, and then the other year, she wasn't going to win. We could have swapped her out for Once Upon a Time if you want. Laura Dern wins from Average Story. Yeah, I, I don't think anything changes there. Yeah, Kathy Bates, Richard Jewell, Scarlett Johansson, Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh, Little Women, Margot Robbie, Bombshell. So there you go. Not a bad lineup there. No, no, no. I, I, I Kathy Bates is not my favorite there. No, that, that's the one weak link. And she's not even bad. It's just well, I could have dealt without that movie. Other. Well, and Margot, it's cool to be there, but not necessarily for Bombshell. Sure. And most people got upset because it was uh, Jennifer Lopez missing that year. Well, in favor of Kathy Bates. I, I can't disagree with that. Nope. So let's talk Barbie. 
Barbie uh, might be my favorite movie of the year. Barbie is a hoot. And Barbie is like, has something to say and it's bold and it sh- like shouldn't exist. Like I, um, Mike Ryan wrote his review about this a lot and I, I really agree. I can't imagine how Mattel allowed this to happen. Like, can you imagine like authorizing the Barbie movie? Well, and then it being this movie? I mean, it sounds like they went through like a hundred different versions of what it could be. I mean, I know there's that yes. Amy Schumer version that was going to happen that would have been completely different. Very so I think so. I think maybe it helped that by the time they got to this version, they looked at so many up until then that they'd maybe been worn down a little bit and were more willing to go along with something weird. A hundred percent. I still love the the story of, of Greta Gerwig like basically taking the job and being like and by the way like, like Noah will write this with me and they were like yeah sure go do it and she tells Noah and he's like I don't wh- wh- why did you say I would do that I don't want to do that I don't I don't have a take on Barbie like his like existential crisis of like I, I why did you give me the Barbie job like <laughs> didn't they offer something else but there's some Noah Bomb back in this movie right on it's very it's very Greta Gerwig like because it is it uh, we'll talk about it in a second about that, but I think I think some of the the existential stuff in the movie is, is up Noah Baumbach's alley, and I think once he dove into like I guess let's let's explore Barbie, he he found that there was a lot there because the other thing is, if we're being honest, this is a toy commercial, right? It has to be. It's Mattel like paying yeah, for the yeah. movie. Yeah, It's a toy on, commercial on some fundamental level. Yes, and there is a scene in this movie where. The one of the human characters of this, this the, the teenage girl shreds Barbie. Barbie is the worst thing that happened to women. Here's all the reasons Barbie is is a is foul and terrible and a black mark on humanity. Like, can you imagine the toy commercial allowing itself to also say, by the way, this toy is the Hitler of toys, Jesus. essentially. <laughs> like, you've set women back 50 years by existing, like to, to the Margaret Robbie Barbie's face. It's wild. The best part, not the best part, but the opening sets up that Barbie world is is Barbies, right? And the real world is the real world, and the Barbies are played by played with real with uh, with kids. But the Barbies are not aware that the Barbie world isn't the real world, also in a way. So because there's a Barbie for everyone, you know, there's President Barbie, there's there's Barbie, you know, the mom, there there's Barbie doing every job, right? So right. they're under the impression that that's what the world is. Women rule the world. Everything's great, and and that's just the way it is, and that's that's a, a really funny start just on its surface because you laugh going, ah, if only they knew, but then at the end of the first act they go to the real world and that's immediately what they have, yeah. Like Ken tags along, and Barbie's immediately like, why do I feel unsettled? Like all these people are looking at me and it doesn't feel good, and I, I feel unsafe. We sh- oh look, there's a there's a construction site. We should go over there. Those women will help me. And it's immediately guys hooting and hollering at her. Uh, and at the same time, Ken's going, I think men might be in charge here. This is cool. Uh, the 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 thing that I think they've, they've underplayed is basically Ken discovers the patriarchy and goes, <laughs> this is awesome. He also thinks it's about horses initially. He's like, horses and, and patriarchy. I love it. Uh, that is that is one of the funniest parts of the movie is him going, men are in charge. This is awesome. Um, and then coming back and basically trying to take the patriarchy to Barbie land. Oh, no. Which sets up a third act that I won't spoil. But yeah, he basically comes home and is like, we want to, you know, 
explain The Godfather to you and sing a song at you. It, it, this movie is skewering like the patriarchy in a way that I don't think most people are prepared for, but I was so there for. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, it's it's which isn't even taking into account the like Barbies are real, but also they have real owners. So there's there's this whole like, well, well there's a real world and a Barbie world and Mattel is aware of it. Like, Will Ferrell, there's been other incidents. It's wild. Like, uh, I I don't want to explain too much because it is just so out there. But then it has these uh, this emotional third act that I'm not going to lie, I cried. <laughs> it's also the run of secret mom movies. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, and, and you, we, you've had a string of those, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I don't miss a single one now. Huh. And, uh, yeah, I think people were wondering why I was openly weeping at a certain scene in Barbie. But it is just so old and like i mean listen it's greta gerwig she has she has a vision and a take on everything but it is so in control and and so smart and witty while still being a riot like so many lines but also you know it's a movie that references like i said robert evans it has classic movie references it like there's a beach fight um it, it it's really it's kind of everything which is kind of the thing that barbie's everything my one of my favorite like offhand lines is she sees a, a billboard in LA for I think it was like America's next top model. He says, Oh, that must be the Supreme Court. Because <laughs> it's all it's all it's all women in Barbie Land. It's so sure. good. That and and really underrated performance, because they didn't really show it in, in the trailers, is Kate McKinnon. Oh, sure. She's basically Barbie after you're done playing with her, like the the Barbie that like you may do the splits forever and like cut its hair and all that. Yeah, yeah. And she is she is living to be weird Barbie. Oh, I I can't wait. Oh, you're gonna. I I I think. I wonder if Kelly's gonna like it even more than you, just because. Oh, it's, oh it's, do you reckon Kelly might like the Barbie movie more than me? Yes, <laughs> but I feel like you're gonna love it because it's just so epically weird. Well, like I, it, no, I, I, everything I hear about it only makes me more excited. It's the. I mean this in the best way possible. It's a toy fever dream. Okay. Like okay. Like I I I'm stunned that it exists. It's not perfect. But it's perfect that it's trying to do this and that it achieves it. Because there's a few things. Like before they get into like the the wildness of the third act, there's a little bit of like, well, where are they? What are they doing with this now? Um, and Will Ferrell's silly, but it's not. It, it's kind of unnecessary. But he's he's got some very funny lines. But once they get into the third act, it really rejuvenates itself because because it becomes like a almost an action movie for a little bit out of nowhere. Okay. It's it, it's it's kind of everything. Good soundtrack too. Ken, the "I'm Just Ken" song by Gosling like should get nominated for an Oscar. Right on. I think if that's going to happen though, for that it'll be. Um, I think most of the songs, are, a bunch of the songs, are original. I think Billie Eilish's song is original. I was about right? to but say like, I've heard hers is the one that people are already responding to. It's very emotional and kind of like sad. Um, because once we, because I, I, I mean, I, Gosling is my favorite part, but I don't want to undersell Margaret Robbie because she really like brings humanity to a doll, which is hard to do. Like, all the things you see in the trailer about, like, hey, you guys ever think about dying and, like, the the arched feet going down and all that? She plays really well. But there is this, like, actual existential crisis she's having about, like, what's my place now? Mm-hmm. Like, I've now been to the real world. Also, like, what is this? There's other things I don't want to get into. But, like, the look on her face a lot of times is is heartbreaking in a way. And and she plays it up. Like, there, there are a couple of scenes where Barbie cries, like, which, you know, is it not a thing she knew, really knew how to do at one point. But, like, they 
it, it's the Greta Gerwig. It's the Lady Bird of it. Because, like, you watch Lady Bird and, like, there's no, like, on the page if you didn't, you know, like, devastating thing. It's about, like, bringing your own experiences, right? Mm-hmm. So much so much of Lady Bird is, like, okay, her mom drives, right? And, and the look on her face. But that's – there's so much else you're bringing to it and what you've seen. The, like, I just want you to be the best version of yourself. What if this is the best version of me? It's very simplistic but also – you bring a lot of it to it and she brings a lot of it to I don't know. Yeah. I, I I Lady Bird might be her best film, but this is easily her most ambitious. Because it has that. Like actual things about like what makes being alive alive, like your place in the world. But also Barbie and Ken when they're when they're sexually harassed in, in Los Angeles, she's like, you know, I don't have a vagina. And he doesn't have a penis. And before they leave, Ken goes, I have all the I have I have both. Because he doesn't really know what they are. He's like, I have all the parts instead. Just like that's like real broad humor, <laughs> but also existential like malaise. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 so good. Can't wait to talk about it more next week. Awesome. And from that, we talk about Christopher Nolan thinking the world is fucked. Yay. <laughs> um, and before we do that quickly, we have a film hawk face off. Christopher Nolan films, which we'll come back to in a way when we uh, rank them next week. Yes. Memento or The Prestige? Uh, Memento. It's my favorite film of his. It's a masterpiece. It's like, it's one of my formative films, like when I was really getting into film in high school. And it's it's been one of my all-time favorites ever since. The Prestige, I was lower on when I first saw it, but I think I've kind of come around in the years since. I think my mm. biggest issues are that like a lot of the twists and turns in the third act either strain credibility or are really easy to see coming. Um, but sure. I think the execution of it overall is still pretty compelling. It's but, in a way the one I, I think, think about the least. Yeah. It's one of the fair. ones I think about the least, which is not anything against it. It's Memento. Memento is one of those movies that I think you, you if you watch it at the right time, it, it kind of blows your mind and, re- yeah. and and recalibrates you, which is well, what you want. Well, I also want. think it's kind of like an all-time, like, indie, just clever screenwriting classic, completely separate from no- the rest of Nolan's filmography in a way. Sure. And it's, it's also the last small Nolan film, you know, because he goes from that to Insomnia, which is a studio film. Definitely a, st- a big step up, yeah. He really only has two indies. He has, uh, he has a memento and he has following. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of Insomnia, Insomnia or Batman Begins? I went Memento, obviously. Yeah. Insomnia or Batman Begins? I'm going to be controversial. I'm going to go Insomnia. Mm. Uh, I like Batman Begins, but it's actually my least favorite of his trilogy. Um, I, I think it's good. I think it's great even, but I think it has, I think it gets significantly worse once it goes into the third act and it becomes all about Liam Neeson trying to gas the city and it just kind of gets really clunky and stupid in a way that the rest of the film wasn't. And also that's well before he learned how to shoot action. So the action is like really bad and handheld and just, you can't see what's going on. Yeah. Um, which a little bit of that was okay. Like the first Batman fight. Is okay. Yeah, he's but right. oh, he's fast. And but he when it's oh, wait, every it's just, fight, it, it's just exactly. yeah, it's, it's too much. Um, Insomnia, I think, is his, probably his most underrated movie. Um, it's got like great later day Pacino, like just exhausted detective work, really creepy Robin Williams serial killer work. I don't know. There's just something. It's simple. Like it's it's also possibly his least ambitious film. But because well, he didn't write it, also no. But I think. 
as like just a directing exercise, as an exercise in atmosphere and mood and tone. It's really effective. The David Julian score is one that's always really stayed with mm-hmm. me. Um, I don't know. I just think it's one of those ones that uh, people kind of dismiss, but I feel like they should give another shot too. Um. I'm on the fence here. I I, I will agree with you because I'm looking and we'll have other things we disagree with. I think if it, if, if we were going to be on the fence, on the same page with the rest of them, I would have split because I, I will rewatch Batman Begins more often. But um, Insomnia, I did really like. I just, for some reason, haven't felt the need to go back. I think it is somewhat the, the script is a little just sort of garden variety procedural. Sure. I think the the acting and the directing really do elevate it. Yeah. And yeah, he 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 does really take these two actors who obviously are great but can be misused. You know, you don't you leave out Pacino's own devices especially at this point. He'll go big or he'll just be like wild and untamed and not good. Mm-hmm. And he he told him to underplay it and got great work. In the same way, look at um the Irishman, right? All yeah. it really took was like do a little less, Al. And he it clicked like, oh, I know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. When you tell him just just do what you got, you're good. He makes some very wild decisions. And sometimes they're fun, you know, they're, but there are times where Pacino has been just like terrible. Yeah. And Robin Williams, I don't think has ever been terrible, but he definitely was an actor who wanted to be directed. You can yeah. see in like his best performances. Like he is living for Gus Van Sant directing him in, in Goodwill Hunting in in, you know, Good Morning Vietnam, these like because like, like Good Morning Vietnam, I think is a great example of here's a structured way for you to go crazy, and then without those scenes, you're giving a performance, and it's sort of the best of both worlds. Here, yeah. instead of the crazy, it's like what if you were just Robin? Can you do creepy? And you could tell he was like, I have an I have a take because like one hour photo, he's very good, but it's creepy in the like he doesn't realize he's creepy way. Yeah, this is oh. I get to let the guy know I'm creepy. It's, it's all, a it, very specific flavor of creepy that that requires yeah. a lot of minimalism, which I yeah. think it actually plays off of Pacino's underplaying quite effectively, surprisingly. Yeah, that just little bit of like them sitting there and because he knows that he knows and no one else does, I get to just leave these little things to like unsettle these like horrific things to say. Yeah, that that's the highlight. That might be the tiebreaker there. All right, the Dark Knight Rises or Tenet? Uh, Dark Knight Rises. It's messy and it's got some problems, but the highs are still really high. I'll always have a soft spot for Bane and just yep. the broad silliness of it. It's big bombastic entertainment, like only Nolan can do. Uh, Tenet is, I think, his weakest film. It's just the, there's some interesting ideas and there's some really cool visuals and well-done action, but it's just so much less than the sum of its parts and it never comes together or finds a central hook to really get you invested beyond just the weirdness of the premise. Sure. And I and I like Dark Knight Rises more than you do. I'm, I'm a big Dark Knight Rises fan. Though I, I have come back down to earth a little bit. I think the first time I saw it, I thought it was the best of the three. And I don't think it's the best of the three anymore, but I think it does so much right. Even the, even the big swings, I'm I'm there for. Um, yeah, soft spot for that one. Tenet is fine, I guess. Whatever. Um, like you said, Interstellar or Dunkirk. Hmm. Uh, well, having very recently rewatched Interstellar, um, yeah. 
the the, the good know. stuff and the bad stuff and that sit a little more awkwardly next to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I will go with Dunkirk. I'm not as crazy about it as I am with some of his other films. I feel like the time gimmicks sometimes do feel like a gimmick. Yeah. Um, and there's because of the way the story is sort of laid out, it's harder to get any real emotional investment into it. Um, but I think it's still really well executed and from a technical and sort of cinematic level, it's incredibly impressive. So I will go with that. It's yeah, I'm going to go interstellar because I still haven't done that revisit. So I still think it's amazing. (laughs) Um, Dunkirk is great, but it is his, it is like clinical in a way that I don't necessarily want from a war film. As, as the thing we were talking about in a minute, he he definitely rectified with um, Oppenheimer because it could easily have been very Dunkirkish. Sure, but I think I think Dunkirk is, you know, it's interesting. You just you just discovered Tarkovsky, right? And Tarkovsky has that rep, right, among the detractors of like it's clinical and and sure. just like it's 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 punishing and brutal and like it's the equivalent of being in like Soviet Russia. Right. Which is and so I think, funny because if you actually dig into it, it's so emotional under the surface. But it's done if you do, if you do rep- the work, but it's done in this very repressed way because that was the Soviet way of the time. Exactly. And I think I think Nolan Dunkirk is sort of the closest he got to Tarkovsky in that way. Not without the, the emotion stuff, but in the in the sense of like, I would say brutalist filmmaker way more like Tarkovsky than um, than Dunkirk. I would say you're right in the sense of the the buried emotion, though he brings it out very much to the forefront in a couple of things. I think just in like the brutalist sense of Dunkirk, of like the the formal discipline kind of thing. Um, there's probably another uh, filmmaker we could we could more aptly reference, but Maybe. there is there is a a very strong sense of form over function in a way with Dunkirk. It's still yeah. great. But it is it is an exercise in a way. And I think Interstellar yeah. is Interstellar is his like throwing everything at the wall kind of thing. Honestly, Interstellar, interesting double feature with Oppenheimer because they're kind of also his two like we got to save the world films. I mean, obviously, Batman saving the world, but like our actual world. Sure, sure. In- Interstellar is we failed. Now what? And And Oppenheimer is if we end up failing, here's how. So you can tell he's got some stuff on his mind. And as always, Ryan ends on a hard one, though it'll be easier for me than for you. The Dark Knight or Inception? No, it's not that hard. It's The Dark Knight. Um, okay, I, I, but that said, these two are neck and neck um, after Memento. And um, I think just in general, they kind of represent, for me, kind of his creative peak, sort of when like the the budgets and like the creative juices are sort of all flowing in equilibrium equilibrium with one another you got um, that word um and then i think a lot of the stuff post inception has been a little more wibbly wobbly by comparison uh both phenomenal fantastic movies they are i mean that one two punch is why he's one of the most beloved and respected filmmakers to this day sure. um so yeah it's a great two to end on but uh, i will go dark knight same Dark Knight. I, it was just on TV yesterday. It's it's goddamn like kind of perfect. Yeah, it can't it be is. a second longer. Like you're exhausted by the end of it. It's, it's exactly what you wanted. And you but didn't there's even not a wasted moment it. in it. Yeah. No, and and obviously the the Heath Ledger of it all is an all timer. Yeah. But so much of it, like you you watch it, and you just there's also there's no first of all anything with commercials with that movie is furious. 
because just god damn it well because the pacing is so tight yeah yeah and you can't turn away because the next scene is always like oh shit it's the it's the interrogation scene oh it's oh he's on he's sitting on top of the money up it's the it's the scene in the hospital like there's it's relentless yeah um so that brings us to oppenheimer uh which i was i was telling miles about i was texting with a colleague who um found as they were writing the review they weren't really sure what to say about the film and i understand that like i think it's great but you see how like the more i talked about barbie the more i talked about barbie in a way Mm -hmm. i don't know that i have that with oppenheimer like oppenheimer is probably a quote-unquote better film but the love like barbie like like activates you in a way like not in the way that the people who hate that word think but in the way of just like it unlocks something like there is a and this is a weird thing for the the 36-year-old uh, male to say, but there is a, like, teen girl who's going to watch this movie, and it's going to do what Memento did to you. Yeah. It's just going to, like, re- rewire their brain for, like, cinema. And also, again, Barbie's ex- mere existence as this type of film is insane. Oppenheimer, there was eventually going to be an Oppenheimer biopic. It was yeah. never going to be this type of movie because only Nolan was making this type of movie, so I'm glad we didn't get the the theory of everything version, which whatever, like we get a, a good movie that whatever you don't think about. And I think because it's Nolan, you get one element of it is the biopic, right? The very simple, well done aspect. But then you also have the ticking clock aspect that Nolan is obsessed with. Right. And then you have the aftermath, which I think, I think there's more about that than maybe people are realizing because there, there are, there are several threads as no one is wont to do. They're not, it's not complicated in any way, but you have, um, Oppenheimer as a budding genius, right? Not as a kid, right? He's, he's already in like, I don't know what level of like graduate studies he's in, but he's an, he's a, he's an adult. He's not like a teenager or anything, but sure. Portrait of the artist as a young man in a way. And then you get him like, as the genius being recruited for the Manhattan Project. And then you have the aftermath of the Manhattan Project, which leads into this sort of dueling their um, trials that are on trials. You know, for those who know the story and what what happened to Oppenheimer afterwards, that's at the same time as the, the Robert Jan Jr. character, uh, Louis Strauss, who's sort of history's villain to Oppenheimer. And it's a little more complicated than that. I, I mean, again, the movie is based on a book uh, American Prometheus. So it's that interpretation of that relationship. But um, someone, my my plus one today referred to it as um, Salieri. Sure. As opposed yeah. to like a traditional villain. Yeah. Which is way more interesting also. Foaming at the mouth, heel turn. I mean, would be an interesting Robert Downey Jr. thing. But I think this this type of role is why you're seeing so many people like go wild over this performance. Because it's also, I think, the first time since Iron Man, but that there's no Tony Stark in his acting. Sure. And like, I, listen, I, I don't, I think he's fine in The Judge, right? A movie that like we kind of make fun of because it's like should be better uh, by virtue of being an, a kind of an interesting idea. And and some of it is is, is wildly like off center. I think we, did we talk about that last week? The, the, the Judge at all? Yeah, we did. Think, yeah, yeah. Because we, you can't watch that without being like, so the incest thing is still there. You just made it one degree less creepy. So like that kind of thing. This movie is the first time that there's no Stark. 
and I think I think there's nothing wrong with the Tony Stark performance, right? It's iconic, and I think in certain way, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is him testing the waters for that in a way. Yeah, Zodiac as well, I would say. Yeah, Zodiac is an interesting combination because he is giving a performance, yeah. but there is but a little bit you like can especially see the groundwork. Well, and that's only the year before Iron Man too. Exactly. So the once I think anything after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I don't want to say the well's poison because that's not accurate. But, you know, listen, Sherlock Holmes is Tony Stark, just without the fun of, like, the Marvel aspect. So there was never really a – and I'm, I, I, from what I remember of that shitty Doolittle movie, that's just Tony Stark. Like, he, he's doing yeah. it with an accent. This is, this is very stripped down for a lot of it. It's very sad in a way. And then once he gets a little big at the end, you almost worry – Oh, is this when he's gonna get like Starky? Starky, and he doesn't. It's a whole other thing. So, I I, I was thrilled with Robert Downey Jr. Killian uh, Murphy is 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 best in show, I think, just because nice. he's in every scene, and and you it's you, what you would been hope if he's in it that much. <laughs> yeah, the only thing he's he's not in some of the like uh, Robert Downey Jr. specific scenes, but that's really it. He it is the role you you've been waiting for for him. Because I don't think anyone doesn't think he's a great actor. But how often do you see him in a lead role to begin with? Well, Let right. Alone. That's why I was so excited about his casting in the first place. Yeah. And, and, and it's very restrained. It's, it's, I mean, it's Nolan. Like, not, not many actors get to go big with him anyway. Unless it's, you know, the Joker. It's a very specific big. But he is, you know, he takes the punches. Like, But he's also just tortured. And so many of those scenes are very interesting. Because there isn't a specific scene or sequence that you can point to unless you see it and then come up with one. I'd be curious about that. But this just through line of following his his evolution and this drive to, like, do this thing because it gets into theoretical physics. And then, oh, we're going to we're going to do the, the weapon. And obviously he calls it, I think, the gadget at one point early on because it's meant to it's meant to prove we can do it. So no one will do it. And then the turn afterwards of like, well, now that we we did it, what now? And. Obviously, he, the the real Oppenheimer kind of soured on it very quickly. So that that like blood on your hands feeling, he sells it really well, and just like this gaunt look that he has, so good. Um, in terms of the other performances, Florence Pugh is a smaller role, but she's very very good. Um, very stripped down performance for physically and emotionally. Um, kind of leads to why he's so haunted. Emily Blunt, I was telling Miles, I didn't get it. For a little bit and then there's a scene where you get it and it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie and it might be her best scene she's ever been in oh wow okay yeah which i think it might get her a nomination you know they because she's i think seen as due like because she's missed a couple of times yeah notably notably a quiet place because she had what she needed and then won the fucking uh sag and then i guess like mary poppins no one was really excited for that to happen, but we kind of figured it was going to happen. There, there was a the world life. where it totally could have happened. Yeah, yeah. So she's she's been brewing there. So I, I think, especially if they like this film, it's it's not hard at all to see that happening. Uh, Robert Downey, as as mentioned, is great. I think he wins the Oscar. Actually. Oh wow! Okay. It could just easily be we're giving it to him, and that's the season. Uh, all I want is Robert Downey Jr. versus Ryan Gosling this year in Best Supporting Actor. I mean, based on the buzz, that's what it seems like to me so far. Yeah, and listen, we're early enough. someone else shows up, I mean, I guess maybe De Niro for Flower Moon, but that doesn't seem like it'll be as big competition. 
Sure, and I don't think he would win. No. Again, you, no you're way. getting into the third Oscar thing, and he's he's playing like a, a vile character. Well, that and I haven't seem... heard anything about that one that would make me think that performance is a threat compared to the raves I'm hearing about Gosling and Downey. Exactly. I hear you hear he's very good, and people are excited to say like Robert De Niro is good because you know there are there are performances that are he's kind of sleepwalking through these days, but. I, I, I can't see how that would win. And we talked about Glenn Howard and earlier, like the nomination would be his reward if that even came to pass. Yeah. And then and you that, get into and that is like a talking before about like a Captain Fantastic where he kind of sneaks in. Sure. And then the rest of this is like, well, do any of these other things catch on? You, you know, does air last enough for anyone from that cast? You know, the Christmas scene yeah. is or, or Affleck or however you want to look at that that role. Does something like the color purple with all their supporting players, right, uh, get in? Is it something we haven't seen? You know, that the the A24 Von Erich wrestling movie could easily one of the brothers get in. You, 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 you're weary of saying like so many slots are slown up. So could yeah. easily just end up being like Gosling falls off because it's Barbie. But I think both of these movies are Oscar players is the thing. My, my article tomorrow, my up predictions update, we'll talk about that. I could see I could see Barbie getting five or six nominations in a in a like ideal showing. Oppenheimer could be like a dozen. Uh, other people who are really good in the movie, uh, Matt Damon. He, okay. he is is better than you're expecting for like that kind of like the trailer doesn't show you that much to be excited over. Yeah, I like them a lot in it. And then even just some of these like one not not one off scenes but like small roles, Kenneth Branagh, um, Benny Safdie is really good. Um, even just like uh, Josh Hartnett's very good. Uh, Gary Oldman has one scene that he's pretty good in. He just um, Jason Clark, Matthew Modine, David Desmalchian, uh, Rami Malek is good in this movie, oh. which is a nice a change of pace. Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> you because he's also like he's a, he seems like a likable dude, so you don't like the like. Well, oh, come I- on, man. I remember seeing him in Mr. Robot and thinking he was going to be one of the most exciting actors working today. And like, then he won an Oscar and it's like one of the worst things that could have happened to him. Yeah. And like, um, he had the indie, like right before he won the Oscar that I moderated Q and a for with the director is Buster's Malhart. Yeah. He's yeah. very good. in, um, you know, he, he's in the master, like he, like he's such an interesting looking actor and he yeah. has such interesting choices that you're like, put him in weird shit. Why is he not Joaquin Phoenix? Well, exactly. Yeah, you use him in the right role. He can be phenomenal, but like, like he was a Bond villain, but it was kind of a waste. Like, yeah, he wasn't a bad Bond villain, but it was you wanted more from that. You'd never say he was a great one. No, he he was he was serviceable, and he didn't make the film worse. And we we both really liked that movie at the time, and I think still do. But I don't know if we I don't know when you're going to revisit No Time to Die. Uh, It might be a little while now, but exactly. um, but no, I, yeah, he's fine. He doesn't take away from it, but he doesn't really add to it either. Exactly. And and here he he really only has one scene. You see him in, in one or two other sequences, I believe. But it's really that one scene. And it's 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 great. Uh, you'll understand when you when you see it, because it's, it's like this emotional moment in a way. Um, and it's just like, like the other thing I really want to harp on that's really, really great here is uh, the score. Oh, okay. uh, Ludwig, might, Ludwig might win another Oscar real quick. No, nice. Because it's also like some of these scenes are just conversations, but the the like paranoid thriller type score going on and the and the pounding of it. I didn't have any problem with the sound mix, by the way, 
which I know is a a Nolan uh, bugaboo recently. Yeah, oh, that's good to though, hear. <laughs> though when when like bombs go off, holy shit. <laughs> um, I'm very curious what because this was an IMAX uh, 70 millimeter screening, so in in kind of like the ideal format. Like I think the premiere was held there like the night before. Like this is how it's intended to be seen. So I'm curious how your projection is. I imagine pretty good and your sound should be pretty good. But if you if there is any uh, distortion or anything, I'd be curious. And just the thing is, it ends on a fairly bleak note. (laughs) Uh, this, This is kind of a warning from Nolan of like, we made a thing that can end the world. And it like he's I think his kind of ends on like the odds are it probably will one day. So there you go. Uh, hence why you shouldn't watch it after Barbie. All right. So, yeah, they're both great. We're going to talk about them more once you can obviously like get into the stuff because I don't want to get into the themes too much. It's easier once both of us have seen them. And honestly, for being if we're getting into it like that. I think a fair amount of the listeners will have seen them both by next week. One would hope, yeah. So I'm so I'm okay being reasonably spoilery next week. There's not really spoilers. You'll you'll know, I think, when we when we have our sort of prep as we're getting ready to record, um, how much of Barbie you feel comfortable talking about. Yeah. Oppenheimer, I don't think there's really anything to spoil. It's a matter of historical record. Um but there's certain scenes that just like I think once you see them, it plays better. That's why yeah. I've, I've I've kept it a little closer to vest on that one. Also, like I was saying, I feel like with Barbie, you want to like shout about individual things because it's so wild that it exists even. Whereas Oppenheimer is just, yeah, it's just really well done. I will say the pacing is very, very good. I didn't well, I didn't you feel need the that three for hours. a three hour movie. Yeah, that's good. There's a there's a period where you're worried that it's gonna take a take a, a turn into slow pacing, and it finds another thing to go after, and it becomes maybe the most thrilling. Like as it gets into the aftermath and 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 these like like I said the non trial trials that are going on, it has this newfound urgency of of like oh that's where the modern relations are coming. I'm I'm very excited to talk about it more. That's why I'm I'm trying to wrap myself up while still being able to give everyone enough stuff so um we'll do it we'll do more next week on that one once everyone has seen it so going in miles very excited for barbenheimer very See much so. comes going out i i catch me next week to know where i which one i prefer i think i think it's barbie just because of the the highs and ambition but damn if oppenheimer is not fantastic even if it is just kind of like this movie i don't know that it has less to say but i think it's it's doing it on a bigger canvas and maybe spreading out more as opposed to barbie which is hitting you with it is unmistakable what it's go what it's going for so we'll talk more about that next week let's wrap up so say where you can be followed actually you know what you're not gonna have to do a thing well because do you want me to just do the the thingy that i had loaded um we're, we're, you do the thing that you have, and I'm going to give you a quick um, rapid fire of this or that. Okay. Because I have um, bookmarked here other. Well, two... you, you do your thing first then, because mine is a little more involved than that. Okay. So here, same day. All right. So Barbie and Oppenheimer will be the same day. In yeah. 99, 10 things I hate about you in the Matrix on the same day. Oh, that would have been dope. Which movie? 
Let's assume right. you're doing both. Which one would you? Which one did you like better? Well, The Matrix, of course. I think I go ten things I hate about you, but they're both great. Um, this is a list someone else made, so I can't vouch for all these. There's something about Mary and the Mask of Zorro in '98. Oh, Mask of Zorro, by a lot. They're both fine. I don't. I don't have a strong opinion. I have a strong. Some opinion of these that I don't like the other one. Yeah. Some of these are some of these are not as interesting as others. I, I didn't go all the way down. But in 2002, the hot chick in Star Trek Nemesis. Boy, uh, neither. Yeah. The Lizzie McGuire movie in X-Men 2, 2003. Gosh, which one would I pick? Yeah, right here. Here's a here's a more interesting one. I know what you're going to pick, but this was another like counter programming, but big. It was the, the day that in 2008 that the Dark Knight opened. Mamma Mia opened next to it. Yeah, I feel like that's the closest because uh, I've seen a lot of people try and like go back in history and see what were other adjacent ones. That's the closest one that I've seen in terms of feeling like each one because the Lizzie McGuire movie is not an event movie in the same way. Mamma Mia, I feel like you could call an event movie. Sure. And something like with Barbie, Barbie became an event movie by virtue of being like this weird mystery box in a way. Sure. Uh, Oppenheimer is a, is a director centric uh you know, uh, event movie. Like here, The Perfect Man and Batman Begins. That's counter-programming. It's not an event movie, right? Sure. Um, 27 Dresses in Cloverfield. That's, yeah. I mean, Cloverfield was an event movie and the fact of like, we got to figure out what this fucking movie is. Um, this is, what you're noticing is a lot, They this is a, a bygone error of the like romantic comedy up against the like guy movie. Yeah. We've sort of, we've sort of gotten away from that, which on the one hand, I like summer counter-programming, but I'm not upset that we've gotten away from like, here's a movie for girls and here's a movie for boys. Well, it feels reductive when I like that even these two that we're getting like would seem on the surface to break down along those lines. But clearly Barbie has plenty to say about gender roles. And also I oh, know oh, just yeah. as many women who are excited for Oppenheimer as men. So I feel like it's not adhering to that as much as you would this maybe see in the past. Totally. I think also, even if you're just purely going for eye candy, you have two very different kinds of like, like people like Killian Murphy is considered a wildly attractive man to a somewhat specific, more specific group of people. Whereas Ryan Gosling is sort of, you find it hard to find someone who doesn't go, oh, wow, you're hot. Also, he's playing that up here so much in this role by virtue of how he looks. <laughs> sure. Uh, she's the man, Viva Vendetta, uh, a Cinderella story and I, Robot. Um, this was an interesting one because usually the the like rom com slash like movie men for the ladies is the smaller film, right? Um, Sex in the City and the Strangers. Sex in the City oh, was yeah. a way bigger film. Sure, sure. Though the Strangers had that very strong core of that trailer fucked me up. Going for it. Yeah. Also, fun fact about The Strangers, I'm not a huge fan of it generally, but there's a little section in the middle of it that does star Glenn Howerton that is genuinely fantastic. Yep. That resolution to that that, that section. It's, it's phenomenal. That's That whole little chunk is the best part of the movie. That chunk's great. And the the early stalking, with that, which you see in the trailer of just like them with the, with the record play. Like it, I, Brian Bertino is not is a good filmmaker. I, he's only really made two good films. This one. And I did like The Monster, a right. little film from a couple years ago. But he's sort of aside from that, never been able to find himself. Um, Freaky Friday and SWAT. Here's one for us. High School Musical 3 versus Saw 5. Of course. That was 
that was an interesting one to leave it on. But other people presented other things, even like games, Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing on the same day. I remember that one being a kind of a big thing from the gaming side. Sure. I, I really. Well, that was I, like, right Doom when Eternal COVID more. started, too. So, yep. man, Animal Crossing picked the right time. Well, Animal Crossing, New, was it New Horizons, right? Yeah. Um, Animal Crossing, boy, did that. Yeah. Right place at the right time. Doom Eternal, I didn't love. I, I, I played the previous one and I really enjoyed it, but I haven't had a chance to try Eternal yet. But I've heard it gets a lot more chaotic, but not necessarily yeah, too, in a good way. It's almost too chaotic. The la- the one before, I think I just might not be into Doom anymore, which is weird. I'm actually playing, I, I beat Star Wars. I think, I don't know if I told you I beat, I rolled credits last time. Oh. Uh, it's good. Uh, little underwhelmed compared to the last one, but still very good. Like I would tell you, definitely get it and play it when the sure. time comes. Um, I got um, Dead Island 2 sent to me, which I don't know. It's so much bigger than the last one. I, I, I was charmed by Dead Island in a way that this one's not charming me. Right. But it's not bad. It's something to do. But I feel like I'm more on where you are with the first Dead Island where you're like, eh, it wasn't for me. Yeah. No, I, I remember it being fine, but it's never the kind of game I'm going to m- make significant progress in. Exactly. I, I'm, I have it and like it's a good time waster and I know I'm going to be uh, not laid up for a little bit, but like just going to want to sit and do very little for a couple days. So I'm fine with that. You know what? The uh, it made me want to play Dead Rising. Made me wish there was a new one of those. Sure. Because because that was just so much more uh, instantly satisfying. Yeah. All right. So say where you can be followed and give me your uh, your thing. Yes. Uh, so you can follow me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. Please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They are both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. And uh, my little thing uh, actually comes from a tweet from uh, at Jonathan MB 32 uh, which uh, wasn't directed at us at all. I just saw it and um, I, it made me start thinking. So I wanted to throw the kind of like a trivia question at you and see how you do. Um, all right. So his initial premise is Christopher Nolan and Wes Anderson should fully cast their next features and then at the last minute swap ensembles and see what happens. Yeah. Um, this tweet brought to you by me realizing that, by my count, only four actors have worked with both Wes and Christopher. So I sat down and spent a solid couple of minutes earlier today trying to figure out what those four actors were. And I eventually did, but I wanted to see if you can do the same. Okay. So four actors. Yep. Hmm. Four actors who have been in both of their films. Yes. And I'll tell you, they're not all necessarily ones that have been in a bunch of either one, but they are all names. Like, there's no, like, obscure character actors or anything like that. I'm going to make a guess. Ken Watanabe? Yes. Okay. I, I, I didn't remember everyone in Isle of Dogs, but I figured... Um, he, he was one I had to kind of guess at because I couldn't remember if he was in Isle of Dogs or not, but yes. Also, Scarlett Johansson's in that, isn't she? Yep. Because I'm misremembering her as like a newcomer to, I mean, she is a newcomer to Wes well, Anderson. Well, she and Brian Cranston both, they sort of started yeah. there, but Asteroid City is their live action introduction. Yeah, I think I think live action is a little different yeah. when it comes to uh, Wes Anderson. Um, oh, am I misremembering? Is Chalamet in a Nolan movie? Is he yes, in Interstellar? He's, he's uh, young Casey Affleck in Interstellar. Okay. 
That was my hope. Because yes. I know he he's in uh he's fucking annoying in uh, French dispatch. He's fine. Okay. Mm. So you got one last more. one. I'm gonna have trouble with uh with the Anderson side of things. I'm pretty good at the Nolan cast. Can you give me what do I get? Three strikes? Or do you get three hints? How do I want to do this? Because you know the fourth one. Uh, we'll do strikes. Here's what I'll do as far as a hint. On okay. the Nolan side of things, he's only been in one Nolan film. Okay. And so I'll, and from memory, I think he's only been in one West film as well. Hmm. And it's a he, so that should all help me narrow it down. Okay. I think once I get the Wes Anderson film, that might help me because they're so expansive. I need to narrow it down that way. The Like I said, the Nolan stuff, I kind of know. Um, only in one. I'm pretty sure it's only Nolan one of film. each. Okay. Let's see. Who do I know? I'm, trying to th- I'm just going to say names. I don't really want to count it as a strike. It's not necessarily my guess. But tell me if I'm if I'm on like the right track. Um, we got. I'm gonna go through some. I'm not gonna count following, but like, you got like just like Joe Pantoliano. I think is only in one Nolan film, right? Uh, um, yes. Okay. What about Carrie Ann? Well, Carrie Ann Moss is a lady, so that doesn't count. Um, Neeson's only in one. I, well, he. I guess he kind of is in two two Nolan films, so I, I don't think you would trick me that way. I I would count it as one, but it's not him. Okay, and he's not. In um, film. Heath Ledger's only in one. I don't know. I don't think he's in a Wes Anderson film. Nope. Um, I feel like if he, he if he had like lived long enough to be in one, though, he would have totally embraced it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he did Terry Gilliam, so that's not yeah. a, that's not a long road to go there. Uh, and it's it's not someone in Oppenheimer, right? Uh, it is not someone in Oppenheimer now. Early or late Nolan? Um, early to middle. Early to middle. Is it one of the Batman movies? Yes. Okay. I, th- I feel like his one-offs are probably in Batman Begins more so than the others, unless it's like 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 Maggie Gyllenhaal would have been an interesting guest, but I don't I don't think she's in a Wes Anderson. Um, Batman Begins. It's a name actor, right? It's not a it's yeah, not like it, Joe Chill or anything. No, it's definitely a name. Well, Joe Chill is uh, what's his name though? It's um, I I say as I can't remember his name. No, uh, uh, uh Richard Brake. Yeah, but that's not who you're thinking of. No. Okay. God, imagine um, him in a Wes Anderson film. He's <laughs> just angry the whole That's time. It. That changes the vibe a little. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? This is... The, Batman Begins is not that big a cast of, like, name actors, actually. Uh, I mean, it is and it isn't. They have some surprisingly big names in smaller supporting roles, of anything. Well, and it's not Ken Watanabe. I already got him. So it's yeah. there's a second one from Batman Begins. I, so I don't know the the Wes Anderson film, but I'll go with the next guy up on on the on the Nolan list, uh, Tom Wilkinson. Yes, he is okay. the older version of the Jude Law author from Grand Budapest. Did not remember that in the slightest. He's only at the very beginning and the very end. And I like that movie, but I don't remember that at all. Interesting. 
That's a that's a very good trivia question. There you go. Because I had to rack my brain for a bit. I got ScarJo and Chalamet pretty quickly, but then yeah, Watanabe. It was a matter of was he an Isle of Dogs or not, and then. Um, like with you, Wilkinson was the one that stumped me the longest. Yeah, yeah. well, Watanabe has that has that little bit of like, I kind of imagine he had to be an Isle of Dogs, but like I don't I don't know to. You don't to want to guess. assume as yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. It, it seems culturally insensitive, but also it also seems insensitive not to cast him. Look, there's no there's no way to look good in this one, but we yeah. we did it. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I did it. Good job. I'm, I'm proud. I would I would offer you something like that, but I don't have one. So we uh, we did my thing instead. All right. So you said where you can be following all that jazz, right? Yep. So stay tuned for Miles on on Barbenheimer, right? Check his oh, Twitter yeah. on. Oh, uh, and uh, stay tuned because there will be an article coming to the site by me. Uh, yes. That is a review on the Barbenheimer experience, the specific experience on watching them as a double feature. Will I lose my mind or will I gain? extra insight into the human condition find out maybe maybe all of the above now my question is will you review or mentioned at least what you did in between will dinner and drinks get reviewed <laughs> uh well potentially i'm gonna see what the day holds because you know little peek behind the curtain uh it's either going to be something like that where it's more of like a day-by-day itinerary mm. or it's going to be reviewing them as though they actually are like the same movie and just broken up by an extra long intermission I mean, it is the it is the year of part ones. Yep, yep. My uh, my favorite tweet uh, about Oppenheimer was uh, so it, it's a very apt comparison. Mike Ryan uh, c- compared it to JFK, and he said he was uh, looking forward to figure out how it ends in Oppenheimer Rises. I saw that one. The best yeah. one I've seen is uh, Linda Carter, who said uh, obviously you have to watch uh, Oppenheimer and then Barbie because Barbie lives in the world that Oppenheimer created. Eh. I mean, listen, they both could be multiverse movies also in a way. Well, that's that's a rabbit hole that sounds more exhausting than anything else right now. Exactly. Feel free to tackle that if you want or don't. Um, you can find me at Joey Maggots on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, uh, Threads, though I don't post on it yet or ever probably. Um, Awards Radar is on several things. Um, the reviews of Barbie and Oppenheimer are on the site. Uh, Miles's piece will be up shortly after his experience or reasonably after his experience um there'll be a ranking of nolan films next week on the site as well as discussed on the podcast and then we'll have our more spoilery discussion of barbie and oppenheimer next episode also i will update predictions again in case uh, you're curious about that so we got plenty going on and then um the summer's over because <laughs> what else are we watching this summer that we care about uh ninja turtles looks all right maybe yeah, yeah. I mean, not in an excitement way, but like, sure. I, I mean, I'm seeing, um, depending on when we record next week, I'll have seen um, that horror movie. Was it Speak No Evil? Oh, uh, Talk To Me? Talk To Me, yeah. Yeah. That I like was- how you immediately knew what I meant. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, I, we'll I'm like, okay, horror movie's about to come out. I feel bad for Cobweb that's coming out also on Barbenheimer weekend. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could have had the link, but I don't think, I, I just, I knew there wasn't going to be time. So Sure. Alas. All right. So we will be back next week and uh, happy Barbenheiming. That's a that's a sentence, right? That works. Sure. Why not? Yeah. And on that note, um, I had Raiders of the Lost Ark on in the background, which was a fun, just visual in silent uh, thing. And Temple of Doom was one on afterwards. And as we wrapped right before we're going to stop recording, Kiwai Kwan just showed up. 
Yay. There we go. We will see you at the movies, and I will see uh, Key on my screen. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.